0: All right. Well, here we are. And I have another opportunity to talk with an accessibility practitioner. Today, I am visiting with Ryan Schuer. Hello, Ryan. How are you today?
1: Hi, Joe. I'm doing great. It's great to be here. Thank you for inviting me.
0: Well, I am in my home office on Vashon Island, which is near Blink's Seattle headquarters. Uh, where are you talking to us from?
1: I am talking to you from just outside of Mill Creek, just a little ways, I think, northeast of you.
0: Well, it's uh, good to have this opportunity to uh, chat. Um, I I, had an opportunity to uh, meet you in the past at a local uh, uh, physical meetup event, I, I believe. But uh, for those uh, uh, who are meeting you for the first time, why don't you talk a little bit about... Um, your activities, the types of things that you're involved with today.
1: Sure, absolutely. So, um, I have been at Microsoft now for about six and a half years, joined uh, back in 2016, and I work as a subject matter expert for accessibility on the cloud and AI accessibility team, and um. I like to describe to people, our team is handling accessibility for anything at Microsoft that is not Windows, Office, and Xbox. Even though that's not even 100% accurate, there's definitely some overlap. But I help teams sit down and understand what does it mean when they get an accessibility bug? What is the impact of the bug? How can they fix it and what is the impact of that fix going to be to the overall user experience because different fixes can mean different uh side effects depending on the experience overall so that's what i've been doing for the past um six years i i have a couple other people that i work with on my team and uh we work with uh i'd say about roughly give or take a thousand different products
0: well, uh, yeah, I'm always interested in in how how that practice works, especially when it has to scale for large organizations like that. So, yeah, I mean, you mentioned a lot of products. Um, is your team uh, more or less on on call when when there's a you know a, a new product or something, or are you uh, kind of keeping track of developments? Like, how does it work on a kind of a day-to-day weekly basis for you to get involved with your colleagues?
1: It's kind of all of the above, honestly. Um, we try to keep as close a track as we can when new products are being released and what the current state of the product is. Um, unfortunately, Microsoft is a big organization and things occasionally slip even past us, it's, it's rare. But let's be honest, it, it happens sometimes. So sometimes we have to just be watching some of the same sources you do just to make sure that we're on top of things. But I, I would say nine times out of 10, um, products are really good at coming to us and saying, hey, we are about to make a new release and here is the possible accessibility implications. Can you take a look at this and and um, advise us? And we have several programs that we run targeting um, specifically that. We are really big on shifting left uh, with accessibility. And so we have a couple of people who just work with designers on making sure that uh, there is good design in the product to begin with, just to avoid accessibility bugs when it comes down to the testing phase. So, yeah, we're, we're
0: not perfect. We can't be perfect, but I actually think we do a very good job. Well, getting in, th- in, at the, uh, design level is certainly a, a very progressive, uh, uh, way to, uh, address that. Um, it, it, you've, you've, uh, been involved in, a you know, a lot of activities in your career already, but I always like to find out kind of how it started with people, uh, with their live life and work life to, uh, uh, start being aware of accessibility and deciding how it you know became part of their professional life. So, kind of uh, what you know, what was it with with you where uh, this was something that you ca- became aware of and then started working with?
1: Well, I've been aware of it one way or another since I was young. Um, I'm visually impaired. I was born visually impaired. So I've been using assistive technology ever since I started working with computers, I've had to. My first computer was an old Apple IIe back in 1988. Um, it, had a, it had a Echo II card in it, and for those who may recognize it, it, used the Text Talker screen reader back then, even though I don't think the term screen reader had been invented yet. So. Obviously, this has been a need and something I've I've needed to do for a long time. I've always had a big interest in technology. I felt technology has a lot of potential to impact people's lives. And so I went to school and studied uh, computing and actually graduated and went into IT um, for I'd say a good 12 years before I came to Microsoft. I was working as a system administrator implementing IT systems in both small and large corporations, and as a blind person, there were a lot of challenges in doing that. Um, I was able to do my job very successfully, but it felt many times like half of my job was just figuring out how to do my job, um, because I was working with a lot of inaccessible technologies from a lot of different vendors, including at the time Microsoft. And so I started um, raising issues and complaining and making the issues known to various companies, Microsoft included. And uh, actually, at at one point, someone from Microsoft came out and visited my workplace um, and uh, saw once and for all some of the struggles that I was going through on a day-to-day basis. Um, And... That kind of led to me actually getting a job at Microsoft in the new, um, at the time it was new, and it was uh, called Cloud and Enterprise at the time, but the accessibility team was forming at that point. And so that's um, really how I got involved. I was living in Denver, Colorado at the time, and uh, packed up, and we moved out to Seattle and uh, started my Microsoft journey.
0: Well, uh, thanks for uh, you know, sharing that background on your uh, your own uh, personal challenges and, and your serendipitous uh, connection with Microsoft. I think is you know you know many of us uh, did you know didn't come into uh, our careers thinking that accessibility would be the part that we were uh, involved with. So uh, you know we've all come in in in, in different ways. So so that's uh, you know great to uh, hear that. You know you're able to make that connection, and uh, and uh, you're still in, involved in that same work. So it it sounds like there's been a lot of uh, it's obviously been you know worked out well for you. Uh, but maybe uh, you know talk a little bit about kind of the different things that you worked on, or maybe uh, give us an idea of like the evolution of accessibility uh, in you know, just within the organization and the products just in the time that you've been involved?
1: Well, there, there's definitely been a lot of, of work that's happened um, in the years that I've been involved and in. our, our team has grown. Um, when I started at Microsoft, it was a team of two people, me and, and my manager, and now there's six or seven of us on the team. Um, I would say that Back when I joined Microsoft, accessibility as a whole in, in the company was really ramping up. I mean, it's always been something that has been uh, caught most on Microsoft's minds, but especially when I joined back in the mid-2010s, it was really kicking off. Um, I forget when uh, Jenny Layflurry became the chief accessibility officer, but I think I joined relatively soon, maybe a year or two after she did, but don't quote me on that. I, I don't remember the exact date she joined. Um, but point is that the program was just getting built up, and especially where I work. Um, see, a lot of people, when they think of Microsoft, they think of Windows, they think of Office, they think of Xbox, and all of those programs had relatively well-off accessibility programs cloud and enterprises, as it was known at the time, didn't have much. We were still kind of the baby. So I was really involved from the program from the beginning, picking it up, um, pushing it through, and, and really evangelizing it to the other products, uh, talking to the various product teams, explaining to them why accessibility is important. Um, and what they need to do and, and what they can be doing to start making accessibility um, part of the process. And I, I think over the past uh, six years, that has gotten a lot easier. Um, we still have to have those kinds of conversations every now and then. And you know I think you always will to a certain extent because there's always new people joining the team, new products starting off and, and things like that. but really as a whole i feel like the organization has matured a lot since when i joined
0: and, uh you know you mentioned uh you know in, informing uh product managers about accessibility uh within the the cloud area but but for that particular area of products with that you work with in microsoft um are there any things that are like uniquely different uh, challenges that maybe you think are different from the more maybe more uh consumer facing products that you mentioned like uh uh like uh, windows and office and xbox
1: that's a very interesting question um and i would say at the heart of it it's the same stuff different day but there are some unique things that we have to deal with um Start with the applications that we work with as a whole are a lot more complicated than your average web page. And we have to enable some user scenarios that maybe are a little bit beyond what Office and Windows have to deal with. So sometimes we have to think a little bit more outside of the box, think through how are we going to enable or, or what is a good design for the specific UI paradigm that we want to work through and enable. A good example is some of the things that Visual Studio is doing to make things like IntelliSense and, uh, and the like accessible, or some of the things that we're doing on the Azure portal to enable a good experience there. Um, the other, I would say, challenge we run into is that there, just aren't as many people with disabilities as I would like using these tools. And there's a lot of, of reasons. Um, some of them are very complicated, and um, you know we can get into more of that. But that, that makes it a lot more of a challenge for us to get feedback. Um, there's a ton of people ready to provide feedback on work or Outlook, or Excel, or even the Windows desktop or something like that. But for something like, say, Azure Data Explorer or even the Azure Portal or, or things like that, those are experiences that people need to be specifically trained on how to use. Anyone, disabled or not, would need to consume some kind of training, either from a book or a training course or, or something. Again, and I, I believe even count to self exploration on that, but you have to have a certain knowledge to be able to play with those kinds of. That a average person on the street would not necessarily have if they're a word user or, or something like that. Yeah. So finding some good feedback channels can be a little bit more challenging.
0: Well, yeah, I think you know part of it is that there are certain uh, areas of technology where because accessibility isn't there, it isn't it. It isn't even something that uh, people may think is an option for them to pursue as a career, to pursue academically or, you know, to try and get jobs in in that area. And so I guess, you know, there's that situation, uh, Catch-22, where uh, if the infrastructure isn't there, then you can't get involved in it. But if people don't get involved in it, then of, uh, you know, it can't be improved. So uh, do you have any thoughts just uh, like generally on on the ability to, to, you know, build out the opportunity so that there are more people uh, uh, with disabilities that are involved in using the type of uh, services that you're involved with?
1: That's a very good question. And that's a, a complicated uh, answer because there is a lot of reason that, there is an employment gap in the disability and community in general, let alone in tech. And it's not something that can be easily solved. Um, that said, inaccessible technology is a big part of, of that. And I think, honestly, the area I'd like to see a lot more focus on is training, um, getting some good accessible training out there to train people with disabilities on how to use these things, how to even get them interested, show them what this can do, and show them that it is accessible. I mean, I do use Azure. I do use um, all of these tools, some of them more successfully than others, but I'll focus on Azure, because it's one I use almost every day. I, I get through that portal. It is a clunky experience, and there's still a lot to be done to improve on it on it and we're working on it but you can do it you can get through you can create virtual machines you can create app services all of these new things that that are coming in it's doable today it is not you know the, the most usable experience out there but people can get in there and do that and so a lot of it is just a lack of understanding of how to do it because it is a little weird and it's a little unusual and some of that's just for anybody not even just people with, using assistive technology or people with a disability. It's, it's a learning curve for anyone. And then you add accessibility to that learning curve and it makes it really hard. So if there's anything we can do to flatten that learning curve out, I, I would say it's worth it. To try.
0: Well, I, um, so you've already been involved in the IT area for, uh, for a really long time. You've, you've got some perspective on kind of how things were how they've changed. Uh, Looking forward to the future. Are there any areas uh, where you think uh, our profession should, uh, you know, should spend more time, you know, addressing thinking about? Are there uh, uh, new activities that you're excited about that you're going to get involved with? Uh, Just generally any thoughts you have uh, about, uh, you know, kind of where you see our profession or your own work going in the future?
1: I think that there is a huge potential for artificial intelligence to assist with accessibility. I don't think it's there yet, but I think we're at the beginning of that journey. Um, I'm sure huge pride got GPT out there. And, and right now it's advice is, leaves a lot to be desired, but it's still impressive what it's able to do even today. And, it, and if you think about things in the next, Five to ten years, there's just a lot of potential for how a properly trained—and I, I want to really emphasize properly trained—that's that's the key, that's the differentiator here, and I think that's what's hard. But a properly trained AI can do. I mean, we already have products at Microsoft, like Seeing AI, that are already helping uh, disabled people with artificial by using artificial intelligence a lot today, and I, I think that that's going to grow, and I think there's a lot of opportunity. For it to grow. Um, another thing that's happening is uh, we have CodePilot, which is a tool introduced by GitHub that uh, Visual Studio is adopting that can help people write code. Um, and again, all of these things are still in there. There's a long way to go. I don't want to give anyone the impression these things are ready today. They're not. But five, 10 years down the road, I, I, think, I think these things will make a huge difference um i also see an interesting yeah and i don't even know exactly where it's heading yet but i see it in the place of assistive technology like screen readers it's a a thing that comes up a lot for us is what is the responsibility of the screen reader slash assistive technology to do and what is the responsibility of the application itself to do as, as far as contributing to accessibility. Should, for example, underlying applications force screen readers to read out messages? What kinds of messages? Or should they just make certain things programmatically available and then let the screen reader choose how to read? Them? I I see that all the time. I certainly have my own opinions on it, um, but it's it's definitely, I think, something that I see more and more of going on right now and is, is something that uh, I think we're going to have to address at some point in the relatively near future. Um, one final thing I'll mention is right now, um, a lot of accessibility around the world is focused a lot on being compliant with the various accessibility regulations, Section 508, European regulation, WCAG, whatever it is. I think we're going to be moving to a lot more focus on usability over the next five to ten years because. Those regulations only go so far, and I think a lot of people don't realize how minimum bar WCAG actually is. I'll be honest, I didn't realize how minimum bar WCAG actually was until I actually started looking at it, talking to people who really knew it, and started thinking about what does this actually mean? And there are certain cases when you sit back and think about it, like color contrast, for example, or... Even things like Page Pageland was talking about headings that we can, if you make it, you can make a page that is absolutely Wicked compliant, but is so unusable, it's not even funny. And when you expand that to more complicated applications, that just becomes, oh, so more apparent. So I, I really would like to see, and I think I see it, a shift away from just making sure that your eyes are dotted and your T's are crossed. To a place where people are actually trying to make their products accessible, usable, and something that is a delight for people to use across the board.
0: I guess when you uh, you get into that uh, part of. Uh, with compliance then you know if, if a organization wants to uh, go by uh, beyond compliance then of course uh, you know return on investment and and other values about your organization are what ends up you know fostering that push um, it, as, some, uh, as a person that uses uh, you know assistive devices y- y- yourself but you know are there any uh, kind of thoughts you have, you know, to organizations about uh, the, you know, the value of what they do beyond just trying to uh, avoid a a legal lawsuit?
1: Yeah. Um, Disabled people are customers. And you should want as good, good of an experience for them as you would want for any other customer. We're not just people who could sue you. In fact, most of us don't really want to do that, at least speaking for myself. But we want to use your product. We want to give you money. So it's in your best interest to have as usable of an experience for us that you can, just like anybody else. And I'm sure you've heard this a number of times, Joe our population isn't getting any younger we're aging people are developing new disabilities all of these things happen all the time you know you never know when someone may become disabled maybe you'll break an arm maybe something more serious will happen and you may find yourself one day needing to use the technology and at that point you'll want as good of an experience as you can have using it so think of of People with disabilities as people who use your products
0: who happen to need to access them a little different. Well, you've uh, you given us uh, quite a lot of uh, you know great ideas, thoughts of, about the future. I really appreciate that, and uh, so yeah, it's been a uh, real pleasure having this uh, opportunity to chat with you and find out a little bit about your background. And, uh, you know, one of the other questions I had is, uh, um, do you have the opportunity to uh, um, get involved in any of the uh, community activities or conferences? Um, I know the pandemic slowed things down a little bit, but uh, is that something that uh, you've been involved in?
1: Absolutely. I've been to CSUN several times and we've attended several conferences uh, virtually, both as Microsoft and just on my own. And I'm hoping as uh, things reopen that I can get back out there and and meet more people again, because it was certainly a lot of fun and very informative just meeting people before.
0: All right. Well, great. Well, maybe I'll meet you at one of those activities. So uh, thank you again for uh, participating in this.
1: Thank you, Joe.
0: Hi, I'm Joe Walensky, and as host of the Digital Accessibility program, I like to keep the focus on our amazing guests. But I'm always excited about my role as Accessibility Director at Blink, the producer of this program, and I'd like to share that with you. Blink is the world's leader in evidence-driven design, and we work with a wide variety of clients. Founded in Seattle, we also have offices in Boston, New York, Austin, San Diego, and San Francisco. Our stated mission is to make technology human. Embracing inclusive design and accessibility brings all of us closer to that mission. We bring accessibility in every one of our projects. Our philosophy is that each of our practitioners should understand how accessibility applies to their own work. Accessibility is not a separate department or activity for us. Our researchers, designers, and developers All employ accessibility principles at every stage. If you have a need for research and design services, Blink is a partner with a full-time commitment to making your product or service accessible and a great experience for all of your customers. Some of the specific areas where we can help using research to better understand the needs of your customers with disabilities, innovating to make sure your accessibility is the best in class design. We can move existing designs to development in a sprint. And maybe most importantly, we provide a turnkey transformation to an accessible site or app. Of course, compliance status is something that we always include as part of the service. If any of this is of interest, please get in touch with me directly at Joe at BlinkUX.com. That's J-O-E at blinku com. Thank you. And please take a moment to rate our program in whatever app you use.